This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equity Mates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own Now time. you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to Get Started Investing. In this podcast, we cover all the basics you need to start your investing journey. Are you joining us for the very first time or is this the start of your investing journey? Well, before you dive into this episode with us, our feed is designed to go from the very beginning. So we strongly recommend that you scroll up and start at episode one. However, if you are feeling brave and just want to dive in, then of course, don't let us stop you. Here at Get Started Investing, we unpack all the jargon and confusing bits, hear your investing stories with the goal of making investing less intimidating. And of course, we have a good time along the way. My name is Bryce and as always I'm joined by my equity buddy Ren. How are you going? I'm very good Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We're going to be talking about a different asset class today, a different investing option that people may not be as familiar with and and that is fixed income and bonds. And really in today's world where if you have a savings account you're probably getting an interest rate that starts with a zero. I think mine is my bonus interest rate these days is 0.15% on my savings account. <laughs> it, it can be tough to um, find a way to make your money grow in something that might be safer than the stock market. So to do it all and to try and understand this world of fixed income and bonds, we've partnered with Blossom who have sponsored this episode and who are trying to, I guess, make it more accessible for people like you and me. That's right, Ren. And to kick it off, we've got the fund manager of uh, the underlying assets at Blossom, Dr. Christian Bayless. Christian, welcome to Get Started Investing. Thanks, Bryson. Alex, nice to be with you. So, Christian is the founder and chief investment officer at Fort Lake Asset Management. With a PhD in econometrics, Christian has previously worked at UBS and the Reserve Bank of Australia. And today, as Alex said, we're going to be talking the basics of fixed income and bonds and and what that means to for your investment portfolio. So, Christian, let's start at the very top. For a beginner, what what is fixed income? Yeah, it's it's one of these odd names which is actually quite misrepresentative I think of the asset class sometimes and um fixed income obviously when you break it down into the two words is fixed and income implying that you get a set level of income for a period of time. But what's missed out in that, I guess, in that um, that particular title is that we also, as an asset class, uh, invest in a lot of floating income type of securities, which means that a lot of the time it's not actually fixed, that as interest rates go up and down, as will the income as well. So, so it's equally as big a part of the market than the fixed side. And so really... Um, it's just been, a, I guess, a, a legacy name that's that's been adopted to portray the asset class. But in fact, it's a little bit different to what that actually is. So, Christian, just in terms of like a very basics 101 definition, tell me, tell me if I'm mistaken. If you invest in equities, if you invest in shares, you become a part owner in the company and you own shares in the company and the share price moves up and down with the fortunes of that company. If you invest in a company's bonds, that's basically you're a lender to the company. The company is borrowing money from you as an investor, agreeing to pay an interest rate, 
And regardless of how well the company does, the company will pay you interest and then eventually pay back their debt to you as an investor. And that's how you make money. That's exactly right. Yeah, I couldn't have explained it better myself. Um, you, you do. The, the only, <laughs> maybe, maybe you should take the seat over here and I'll swap with you. Um, but uh, yeah, look, the, the only bit of nuance I'd add to that is that, you know, as interest rates move up and down, um, you know, you do get, um, I guess, differences in the capital value of, of that arrangement that you've effectively set out with, with the corporate or the government or whoever it is that you've lent to. So, so that they're not static valuations despite the income side being pretty constant. And, and the, the key point of difference with equities, I would say, is that obviously with equities, you've got a dividend yield and that dividend yield fluctuates from year to year. If we take the fixed income uh, rationale is that you've got a set level of income for a period of one, two, three, four, five years. Now, if people are a little bit confused about how interest rates can move the capital value of a bond, we will get to that. But let's let's start with, um, I guess, the why. So, you know, we are a podcast that has primarily focused on equity markets. As Australians, as young Australians, we're all desperately seeking to invest in property and get on the property ladder. For, for most Australians, they probably haven't really thought about investing in bonds or fixed income before. So I guess why, why should we think about investing in fixed income? Yeah, so I think it comes back to that stability of income. You know, there's, there's few things that are certain in life. Um, you know, death and taxes is the, the often referred to phrase. But fixed income should be should be pretty certain, and and um, uh, unless you're going down, I guess the risk curve and in investing in um, pretty poor quality companies, you know, fixed income is a pretty stable investment. And you know, if you if you look at Australia, we we talk about I guess a, a term in our little microcosm is um, investment grade bonds, and that's basically I guess the highest rated bonds that are in the market. And and specifically, what that is is a rating of triple B minus and all the way up to triple A. So a government would be rated triple A and then a, a not so good corporate would be rated triple B minus. And that's basically the, the width of the, I guess, the credit quality that we invest in. Now, what you've got there is um, you've, you've never had a, an investment grade default across that particular range of um, investment quality. So that's a really interesting fact is that is that when we're doing, you know, modelling for insurers and, and all of these large investors that invest in the bond market, or the fixed income market, we usually have to take US data as a reference point for defaults because we've never actually had a default in Australia with investment grade bonds. So, so there is a very high level of assurity around that fixed income component. Now, Christian, no offence, but fixed income is often thought of as uh, an asset that goes in the portfolio of a lot of old people, uh, particularly <laughs> <Yeah>. those, <laughs> particularly those that are nearing retirement for a number of reasons that you've just spoken about. You know, the assurity of it, the, the fixed uh, yield or payments that it gives on a regular basis, and uh, I guess less fluctuation in some instances than if you were to go all in on afterpay and growth stocks. So. As a beginner investor, perhaps at our age, if you were to think about, you know, the, that millennial generation and then compare it to, you know, someone nearing retirement, what role does fixed income play in a portfolio? Yeah, look, I, I think it plays a stabilizing force, a stabilizing factor is it's, you know, you're going to have, you're going to want to allocate a portion of your um, your capital to more volatile investments such as, you know, the afterpays and, and the you know, the equity component in particular. But you're always going to want to have a, a stable element as well. And I think that's really the role that it plays. The volatility of fixed income is typically about one-tenth of the equity market. So that's an important part. So you've got less volatility, more certainty around 
I guess the, the fixed the fixed component again, and that's really what it's there for. Is is it's a, a place to draw on in volatile times, and and it, and it, it gives you, I guess it's like it's like the comfort food of, of asset allocation. You know, it's it, it's it's when things start to get rough and ready, you know that that's going to be there as 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 a constant and and not move around too much. So, Christian, in terms of uh, how much of a portfolio is allocated to fixed income, obviously, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. It depends on your risk tolerance and, um, I guess, you know where you are in, in your stages of life. Um, but how do you think about asset allocation towards fixed income? And maybe for some of the bigger institutions that you invest on behalf of, how much of their portfolios are they allocating to fixed income? Yeah, so it really ranges. So if you go to what we call the captive buyers of fixed income, which tend to be the, the major banks and, um, and the big insurers of the world, they typically these days allocate almost 100% to fixed income. Now, they used to have a bit in equities and, and stuff like that, but the financial crisis and the pandemic has scared a lot of people or a lot of those big institutions away from, uh, from the equity um, asset class and the risk charges or Basically, the penalty that the regulators put on them for holding equities is quite substantial as well. So, so there's a big allocation with that particular cohort, and then you go to the balanced funds or the the big super funds who tend to have, you know, anywhere from from five percent up to twenty percent in in fixed income, and then you've obviously got you know age demographics play a part as well. If we go into individuals, typically a younger um, cohort like millennials will have basically no fixed income, and they'll be you know, purely in risk assets like equities and things like that. And to some extent, that's the correct allocation at a young age because um, obviously you can withstand um, the volatility. What you do find is that over, over time, it's, you want to grow out of that, um, that risk allocation and start to, I guess, put aside a portion into more conservative asset classes because the older you get, um, it's, it becomes more about defending the wealth that you've made over time, not so much growing it. Um, and, um, and that's where fixed income really plays a role in the latter years. Now, Christian, we've mentioned a number of, I guess, different types of bonds uh, in this conversation so far, and I think it's probably worth taking a step back and just establishing a fact that might surprise a lot of people, which is the bond market is actually bigger than the stock market. Correct me if these numbers are wrong, but I think the global bond market is about $120 trillion and the global stock market is about $70 trillion. So the amount of investing options out there in fixed income is massive and you know we're talking about everything from u.s government bonds which are you know as safe as safe can be all the way through to companies that might be on the verge of bankruptcy that are desperately trying to raise money to keep themselves afloat um with with such a i guess a wide range of investing options from big governments to small governments to good companies to bad companies. How do you think about allocating your capital within the fixed income market? Yeah, so it's, it's almost like an asset allocation process within an asset allocation process, if that makes sense, is that is that you've got higher risk segments of the fixed income market, a bit like you've got higher risk asset classes as well. So, so you know, an example of that would be is, you know, a, a very stereotypical portfolio would be, um, I guess, a small proportion allocated to the really low risk areas like government bonds and state government debt and those sorts of things. Um, and then the more yield you want, you obviously allocate a bit more to the, to the higher risk areas of the, of the bond market or the fixed income market, such as 
um, such as that can be through a particular name or it can be through a particular part of the capital structure. An example of that would be, you know, we were talking about hybrids before, is that they're very high-quality issuers, uh, but we can also go down the capital structure, um, like to, to the hybrid level, um, and, uh, you know, take a bit more risk but on a good name. Or we can go into, a, I guess, a name that's not so, um, not so good or of um, lower quality and, and go higher up the capital structure. So there's a lot of ways in which you can slice and dice your risk profile and the, and the areas that you want to go to, but it is a very complex asset class for that reason is with equities you've got literally equity that you buy on one name and, and that's all you've got to do. Whereas um, with, with fixed income or bonds, you've got bonds issued in different currencies, different part of the capital structure. All of them have different risk profiles and all of them mean different things in terms of what happens when, you know, when there's, a, I guess, a, a risk-off event or an insolvency event as well. So it is, um, it is about breaking all of that down, filtering it out, and then coming up with, a, I guess, a risk profile that suits um, your investor type. Um, and and also what their um, stated objectives are as well. We'll get to um, how do you, you can access them in bonds and, and the like in a, in a moment. Um, I think one of the major differences for me between the two markets, equities and bonds, is that uh, access for retail investors is a lot easier in the equities market. Um, so it'd be great to get your thoughts on how we can um, get involved in this space in a second. But when we're talking about getting started and you know, we t- speak a lot about how you can analyze a company and what are some of the fundamentals you look for or, you know, types of investing styles. What is your process for assessing fixed income opportunities? Is, is there a difference between analyzing, you know, a stock over a bond? Yeah, I, I think there is. It's, it's always interesting when you look at a, an equity manager or you, you look at, um, you know, the well-known ones like Magellan or, or Berkshire Hathaway and some of those well-known equity managers um, is they'll typically be out doing a slide presentation of, look, this is the stock I've bought. I've gone and bought McDonald's and, and you know, this is the, the full fundamental picture of it and this is why it's going to shoot the lights out and this is why it's going to do so well. Whereas as bond investors, really, we shouldn't be effectively presenting like that, is that really it's almost like about avoiding the downside with bonds if you allocate quite a substantial amount of money to a particular bond, take Virgin Airways as an example, which is what ha- which was what actually happened. So people had invested around a small portion only, let's say 1.5%. Now that defaults and you get zero cents back in the dollar, that actually shreds your whole year's return just by a 1.5% allocation to that bond. So in a low rate world, having concentrated bets in fixed income is, is a very dangerous game. And really what it's about is it's about mitigating all of those individual exposures a bit like how a bank has you know numerous exposures across so many different clients is they're very rarely unless they've got poor a poor risk framework they'll be very rarely exposed to one individual client or they shouldn't be at least and and it's for that exact reason is that the upside you don't get a lot for but the downside is very painful so with equity managers they live and die by their concentrated bets whereas with 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 fixed income you live and die by poor risk selection and not being diverse. So, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a very important difference between the asset classes. So, Christian, if we just pause here and sort of recap what we've, what we've covered so far, you know, the bond market is uh, an investing option out there that perhaps not as many people have thought about. Rather than owning the company, you're essentially a lender to the company and then the company pays you back with interest. Generally, it's considered less risky and if the company does go bankrupt, you do get paid back before shareholders or 
people that own equity. And for that reason, a lot of investors, especially big institutions that are quite conservative or people as they're getting closer to retirement, put more and more of their money uh, away from equities and towards towards bonds because it's generally safer. We're going we're gonna to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then uh, we'd love to talk about how we can actually access this market as retail investors. So Christian, before the break there, um, we sort of recapped, I guess, the overview of the bond market, but you know, what we really want to get to is how we can actually access it because as retail investors, traditionally, it's been nigh on impossible um, unless you have a lot of money behind you, but it is getting easier and easier. So for Bryce and I, we're interested in um, fixed income. How can we how can we access the opportunity? Yeah, so look, I think the ASX had a, a few goes at it, but it really didn't take off. So they, they listed bonds on the exchange, but the transaction costs were incredibly, I think, restrictive. And, and then what happened was interest rates came down and those transaction costs became quite a, a big portion of the overall return. So I think it ultimately ended up turning people off the asset class, at least on the listed exchanges. So I think what, you know, really we've had to go back to the drawing board and rethink about how we can make this market more accessible. So for a general retail buyer of, of this asset class, um, there's not, unfortunately, not many avenues to do it, um, I think, in an efficient way. So that's where obviously the Blossom app has come in as a, as a, as a means to try to open up that market so people can um, basically, you know, transfer money directly out of their savings accounts into bonds, and we use an aggregated approach to do that. So we aggregate and pull all that money together, and and then um, give people access to the market in that type of way. And that's probably the most innovative way that I've seen to date, because it does it allows you to effectively aggregate and scale up all of the individual um, subscale um, subscale uh, holders of cash, and allows you to get access to a to a bigger market. And I, I think that's really the smartest way at the moment because it's more efficient, means your transaction costs are a lot lower. You effectively get, I guess, aggregated bargaining power when you when you do that. I.e., you've got um, instead of having ten people with ten thousand dollar balances, you've got a you know you've got a hundred thousand dollars which can go out and negotiate a better deal with the with the companies who who do need the financing. And so I think that's that's probably the best approach. And it's and typically why asset managers have never been able to do that in an effective way is because the cost of servicing uh, I guess low balance clients is incredibly, incredibly punitive. So we've got anti-money laundering checks that we've got to do. We've got know your client checks that we've got to do. Um, and that process um, can typically be very involved and can take, you know, a week to two weeks. So streamlining all of that and aggregating it brings the cost down for the asset manager by, I guess, us facing one um, individ- individual entity such as Blossom. Um, and that means um, we can we can again give you access um, to the market. So, Christian, you mentioned there that um, interest rates can change the capital value of bonds. Now, this is something that, as a beginner, might be hard to sort of comprehend what that actually means. Are you able to explain the relationship and how and the, the mechanics of this? Yeah, so it's it sort of really comes back to opportunity costs. Um, that if you if you buy a bond with a with a one percent yield. And then interest rates go up to 1.2% as an example. It doesn't mean you've actually lost anything on your, on your set income. It just means you could have ultimately got that for a better price. And so that gets reflected into the price of the bond. So that bond will drop as a result of that opportunity cost. But whilst you have this momentary loss of, of capital, it's only an unrealized loss, but it will ultimately gravitate back and unwind over time if you hold to maturity. So 
So that's really all it is. It's it's nothing overly technical and you know quite simple. It's all about opportunity cost. And you know when you think about the amount of central banks that are buying bonds at the moment, this should be a pretty good indication. If they're not worried about these momentary capital losses because they're going to hold to maturity, um, you know, as an investor, I think it's it's a good approach to take as well. Is that if you buy fixed income, don't get worried about. Um, you know, the, the intervening capital movements, um, it's one of those things that you're better off probably ignoring as long as you're comfortable with the, the quality and, and it will ultimately resolve itself over time. And again, the, the point I always make there is that if you're doing it across a diverse portfolio where the, where the aggregated probability of default is very low, so as I said, there's never been an investment grade default in Australia, it's probably a good, good approach to take. Christian, just for my, my own purposes and my understanding, can I, uh, can I try and explain the mechanism and you tell me if uh, if I have understood it correctly? A company uh, issues a bond and I, I buy that bond when they issue it um, and I give them money to do whatever. Let's say that's $100. The, the face value of that bond is $100 and it's for five years. If I just don't do anything and I hold it for five years, they'll pay me interest every year and then at the end of the five years, they'll give me $100 back regardless of how the price moves during that time. But when we talk about the capital value moving, it's more if I if I get that bond at one percent, and then all of a sudden there are you know interest rates are at two percent, and uh, other investors could either buy the bond off me or they could buy other bonds that are being issued at two percent. They'll only buy the bond off me if the 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 face value, the price they pay, is lower than what I paid, so they get the equivalent of a two percent yield because that's what other bonds in the market are offering is that is that yes yeah, so, so so the price the price will drop to a point which equates to a two percent yield very similar to how a dividend yield works that if you buy a stock at five percent dividend with a five percent dividend yield and the equity value drops um you know halves um that means the dividend yield is going to go up to ten percent so exact same principle exact same principle with bonds is that if you you buy a bond yielding one percent um, and interest rates, and the interest rate goes up to two percent. Um, it's effectively just meant the capital value has dropped enough to give you a yield of of two percent. Mm. So I guess that means the uh, the last few years of ever falling interest rates has been good for the face value of bonds. Correct. Absolutely. Yes, that's for sure. So it's you've had basically a thirty year bull market in bonds, where you know we we had interest rates up at seventeen percent back in the early. 1990s and basically since that point in time it's just been one direction the whole way down to where we are today so it's been an incredibly lucrative you know three decades of for investors and you know but you had to buy very long-term bonds to get exposure to that thematic as well so i guess the question becomes with the cash rate at what is it 0.1 percent at the moment and you know we have seen negative interest rates but you know the, the cash rate at such a low uh percentage if you're buying bonds today, how do you think about managing the risk of interest rates actually going up and the face value falling? Yeah, so so this goes back to probably what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode was that um, in our world, we've also got the option of buying floating rate bonds, which go up and down with interest rates. So at this stage in the cycle, it's, it's very important not to buy fixed income securities that are very long dated, i.e. longer than one year would probably be the max at this stage in the cycle. So, because if interest rates go up, you don't want to be exposed to that capital loss that we were just talking about. So, buying floating rate bonds, which means 
the yields will go up as interest rates go up is a far better way of managing that risk. Um, so you really want to be, you really want to expose yourself to interest rates going higher at this stage in the cycle and not going the other way. Um, because really at the moment, there's not really much lower in terms of where interest rates can go. The, the Reserve Bank of Australia has said that they don't want to go into negative rates, unlike Europe and Japan. Um, and therefore, if we take them at their word, that means interest rates can only go one direction and that's higher. So, so you really want to make sure that you're allocating to that, that, that type of um, sector within the, the fixed income world. Yeah. I guess uh, one, one more question around, you know, the future of interest rates, um, and, that, and that's about inflation. And I, I guess for a lot of listeners to get started investing, and for Bryce and I as well when we started investing, really for everyone our age, um, you know, we've had it drilled into us that don't park all your money in the bank in cash because the interest rate doesn't beat inflation. Um, you know, these days you're lucky if you get any interest on a on a you know transactions account and you're getting you're getting something with a zero in front of it in a savings account most of the time these days so you know um in terms of you know trying to have your money grow and and beat inflation you you can't really park it in the bank in this day and age how do you think about you know with interest rates so low and talk about inflation sort of bubbling up around the world how do you think about ensuring that the return you're getting in Blossom or in, in the fixed income market more generally is beating the rate of inflation? Yeah, so, so we um, definitely, the point you make is, is very important with savings accounts. The, the thing that I often point out to people is that when, you're, when you have your money in a bank, um, you are losing at the moment um, you know, between 2 and 3% and that's because inflation is running at 2 to 3%. So if you're getting a zero yield on that, on that money at bank, Every year, you know, inflation is effectively eroding your capital value by 2 to 3%. So, over one year, not such a big problem. But over five years, all of a sudden, you, you could be down upwards of 15% on your capital after adjusting for inflation. And that becomes a serious problem. So, so it's, it's, it's this slow, cancerous type of element that, that starts to erode the, the real value of your, your savings. And if you look in the USA at the moment, I mean, inflation was just running at 5.3%. I mean, so if you've got $100 in the bank account, you've just lost 5.3% after inflation on that money for this year. And that's incredibly painful. And if that runs at that type of rate, not that it, it will, but if it did, um, you know, that, that becomes much more risky than the equity market almost. So there's this falsehood that, that savings um, don't have risk. It's just because you don't see them go up and down day to day there's no volatility but the actual cost of those savings is, is really quite large and, and so it's very important to accept that understand it and and mitigate against it so what we actually do is we we hedge inflation um, and not wanting to get too technical but but we um, typically enter into a range of transactions um, with banks and other intermediaries who would like to take the opposite view to us that inflation would go lower and we take the view that inflation would go higher and we, we seek to hedge that and protect the capital value of, of the bonds that we buy for our investors. And, and really all that is is that that simply means that if inflation is currently at 2% and inflation goes to 3%, it means what we do is we protect the capital value of our, of our investors by that, that 1% difference. And that's, that's really what I guess the motto is for us at, at Fort Lake is that we, we think the asset class should always be looked at um, through the prism of inflation because it's such a such a corrosive 
element for, for fixed savings in particular. Nice. Well, Christian, that um, does bring us to the end of our conversation, but it's a good segue um, into the next part of this episode. We have Gab- Gabby Rosenberry coming on, who is the co-founder of Blossom. And Christian, you manage the underlying portfolio of in- fixed income assets that Blossom invest in. Blossom is a micro-investing app that takes your savings and uh, invests across this portfolio of fixed income assets, which, as we've sort of spoken about, is... Uh, a good alternative to sitting your money in a bank with 0.01% interest or whatever it may be. So um, stick around. We're going to be chatting to Gabby about the journey of Blossom and and how it can help solve that problem of um, low interest rates if you are looking at still putting some money into or keeping money in cash and investing across fixed income. So Christian, very much appreciate your time. Really appreciate uh, you having me. Thanks again. So now we are joined by Gabby Rosenberg, who is the co-founder of Blossom, a micro-investing app that takes your savings and invests across a portfolio of fixed income investments. And I think I've just stolen the answer to the very first question, Gabby, which is what is Blossom? <laughs> so how about we start with why why Blossom? What, what What's the problem that you're solving? So there are two main problems that we're solving. First, it's very hard to do more with your money, as we all know. On the one hand, you can keep your funds in the bank making near zero interest rates. And on the other hand, you can invest it in the stock market, which is very volatile at the moment due to the global uncertainty caused by the pandemic. So that's why we're providing access to the middle ground, which is the fixed income market. And the second problem is that fixed income is difficult to access for retail investors. So this is for a few reasons. We have incredibly high minimum investment amounts, so between twenty dollars to $200,000. You can have long lockups, so saying goodbye to your funds for between three to six months. There's high fees for someone else to be managing the investments for you. And, of course, there's no centralized exchange for us to trade bonds on like there is the ASX for shares. So Blossom's mission is to democratize the fixed income market and bring it to everyday Aussies and millennials for the first time. How are we doing that? So we are targeting 3% per annum returns. We provide very easy app access to the Blossom Fund where the investing is done completely for you. You can get started with $1. We have no account fees, and you can also set and track your savings goals through the app. And finally, we have a dedicated team to ensure we're investing ethically and responsibly. It is a great mission. You know, the fixed income market is very difficult to access for retail investors. So, um, full credit for trying to democratize access and and make it accessible for people like ourselves. Can you tell us a little bit about the founding story and the, the growth to date? Absolutely. I finished uni and had no idea what I wanted to do, for lack of a better word. And I knew I was never going into a corporate role. So throughout uni and after, I went straight into tech startups, which I enjoyed a lot. And I was in my previous role when COVID hit and we all got stuck at home. So I found myself with some extra time on my hands to get on top of my personal finances. And I always draw the most inspiration from my family. So they were telling me what fixed income is, that it likely will match my risk profile as well. And so I started doing my own research and found the very high minimums, the long lockups, the high fees, and it would have been a perfect opportunity for me, but I couldn't afford it. So I started doing some research into why some of these barriers existed for retail investors like myself. 
and tried to have a crack at creating some solutions around them. And this was all happening at a similar time to my participation in the Startmate Fellowship. And this is a program that introduces you to the full suite of opportunities within the Australian startup ecosystem. Um, and we were hearing from people of the likes of Melanie Perkins from Canva and Catherine McConnell from Bright. And their consistent message was that your startup idea isn't a part-time job. It's a full-time job. And if you really want to make something of it, you should be diving headfirst. So I leaned into that message and I took the leap. And that was about a year ago. And since then, we have launched Blossom on June 7th. And as of this morning, we hit 8.8 million in funds under management in just under 11 weeks. And what we were chatting about before is that it's been such a rewarding journey. So we're seeing new demographics like millennials understand that you don't need $200,000 to invest in fixed income. And with Blossom, you can start with $1 or $10. And that fixed income is an avenue that might be worth considering to help you reach some of your longer term financial goals. Nice. Very inspiring. Would love to um, get a business with assets under management of almost $9 million in about a few months. <laughs> so, obviously, the product is very appealing and, and we can certainly understand why. Now, Gabby, we've, um, it's obviously causing a, um, some great conversation in the Equity Mates group. Only last night, there were a few questions coming through. So, it's, it's perfect timing that we have you here. You mentioned there that it's a targeted return of 3% and also 0% fees. So the questions that have sort of come through is when you say targeted 3%, what happens if you don't get there and and how are you guys actually making money? All great questions. So we have three key risk mitigation strategies that make us confident we'll be able to continue to target the 3% return in the long term because as you mentioned, it's a targeted return not guaranteed. So the first risk mitigation strategy is our expert team and you've spoken to Christian, you know this firsthand. He has 18 years of experience in fixed income, previously worked at UBS and the RBA where he managed close to $30 billion. So he has a tried and tested strategy. Um, he also received Australia's only highly recommended rating from Zenith for his time at UBS. Um, and I'm assuming he hasn't told you this, so I'm here to tell you this. We secondly have a threshold management agreement and it's somewhat a unique structure of the fund where when the fund makes more than 3% per annum and after we've paid our external fees, we're building a buffer to help us with liquidity. Thirdly, um, it's a highly diversified liquid investment fund um, and we're investing in a whole host of fixed income assets. So the average rating of this bond portfolio of our assets is A-rated and never in Australian history has an A-rated bond gone into default. And that's just for one credit. Imagine that times multiple credits and it gives you a little bit more of an idea of what we're dealing with here. Um, and in the event that the portfolio does run at a loss, we have three options based on what I just mentioned. So the aforementioned, firstly, the aforementioned threshold management agreement will kick in and can help us fund some of that loss. Um, two, we can reduce the return temporarily. And then three, we can reduce the return more permanently. And in this case, it would return to risk mitigation strategy three that never in Australian history has an A-rated bond gone into default. Um, and the average rating of our portfolio is A. 
Yeah, we were speaking to Christian about the uh, the lack of defaults in the Australian high-grade credit market in, in our conversation before. But I think it is important for to, to stress because some people will think of Blossom as a savings app and it is, you know, it's a great alternative to the, you know, the interest rate that starts with a zero you can get in in your bank account these days. If, let, let's say, interest rates do rise and the face value of bonds fall... Can, can I lose money investing um, or putting my savings into Blossom? So another great question. And just to explain the savings app versus investment to begin with as well. So our app allows you to contribute to the Blossom fund, which like any fixed income fund, of course, is an investment. Um, and the reason that we highlight the savings element of the app is because we have in-app functionality that helps every day Aussies build and foster healthy savings habits. So For example, we have a savings goal function where you can actually choose a savings goal within the app. You'll receive a personal flower and then you can watch your flower grow as your savings blossom. Um, And we're also rolling out a whole host of savings features and education to help a customer along their savings journey. Um, And in terms of the face value and interest rates rising, so we hold the view that inevitably interest rates will rise, and I'm sure Christian touched on this as well. And our fund managers are planning for that and retaining short duration. So the weighted average maturity of our bond portfolio is three years, and our 3% target return is also a floating rate. So if interest rates go up, it doesn't actually affect the values. It helps the running yield in the long term. Um, the first available 3% that the fund makes always goes to the customer first. And then if the fund makes more than 3%, we use that excess to pay out our external fees. And then once our fees are paid out, we use the rest to help us build a buffer. And then that's what we keep to run the business and to ensure we can continue to target the 3% returns for the long term. And so the short answer for can you lose money being an investment, there is a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, there is a possibility. We we don't have a government guarantee. So yes, there is a small chance that you can lose your money. Um, But I would direct you back to the rating of our bond portfolio to assess that risk. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's no doubt there's plenty of mitigations and um, processes you have in place there to ensure that the underlying assets that we're investing in here are highly rated. And yeah, we just obviously want to make it clear that investments being investments, there are risks associated. Mm. I think it might be worth, uh, you know, we're talking about credit ratings and, and people, you know, might be new to the concept of credit ratings or may not really be able to say like what an A is, what a triple B is. Um, for people who are interested in Blossom um, but would like to know like some of the company or government bonds that they would actually be investing in, um, do, do you have any examples of the companies um, that the Blossom Fund holds? I can give you a little bit of an explanation of what the underlying investments are in the fund. So the Blossom Fund invests in cash, NCDs, mortgage-backed securities, um, corporate bonds, semi-government and government bonds as well, um, which is a little bit of a a fun snapshot. And an example of a government bond, for example, would be the New South Wales government. And obviously, the New South Wales government isn't going anywhere, which is why it would generate such a high credit rating. So, Gabby, for listeners interested in finding out more about what Blossom can offer and uh, how to get started, what's the best place to do so? 
you can head to blossomapp.com or you can download the Blossom app through the app or the Play Store and get started for free. Awesome. Well, uh, check it out if you are interested in A, doing something more than putting your money in the bank account and B, understanding a bit about uh, fixed income as well. I know that there's a, a lot to get your head around when sort of thinking about all of this um, compared to sometimes equities, but uh, I really commend you on what you're doing, Gabby. I think um, give, you know equity mates is all about making markets accessible, and there's no doubt that the fixed income market for retail investors is an incredibly tough one to get involved in. So uh, very much looking forward to seeing how Blossom grows, pun intended, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Get Started Investing is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Get Started Investing are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Get Started Investing acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.